I'm black, you're white. Now what? What if I say the wrong thing? You probably will. Who doesn't? But I'll do my best to listen. Maybe if we're humble enough to listen to each other. Maybe if we're brave enough to lean into those difficult conversations. We might. We could. Come up with some answers. Make some real progress. Discover how much we have in common. And appreciate our differences. Now you're talking. Hi, I'm David Conley, and I'm a communications consultant. And I'm Chris Thurber. I'm a clinical psychologist. And welcome to I'm Black, You're White, Now What? Our guest today, uh, we're blessed to have with us Detective John Leggett from the St. Louis Police Department. We're going to have a great conversation with him. Uh, but just before we jump into that, I kind of wanted to uh, do a little recap about what we talked about last week, Chris, um, and just kind of bring everybody up to speed. Last week we yeah. did uh, an overview of kind of what this show is going to be about going forward and um, just about how to have difficult conversations about a lot of the topics that are going on in society now and how to have those conversations, really learn from each other, but still uh, leave those conversations as friends. Yeah, I mean, we, we, well, it was your idea to create this podcast, this webinar series, and, and I'm really grateful that you gave me a call and tapped me to, you know, to join you. And I think that we both, uh, like John, like probably most people in the country have felt the, the tension that exists right now. And to just be sitting in that without doing anything is, you know, not our style. So we're trying to model the candor, the civility, the leaning into the difficult conversations, as people frequently say, and, and the learning, because I think that we have so, so much to learn from each other. And I certainly believe that ignorance is at the, at the core of any kind of prejudice. So I, you know, I am glad that we've started this. And I also wanted to share with our listeners and with the audience who may be watching this as a webinar and a great thing for, for John to hear before you tell us uh, more about him and we um, bring him into the conversation. Despite our clear goals, David, there was a moment in the episode uh, that we debuted last week where you asked me how I felt about how I personally felt about Black Lives Matter. And we discussed it a little bit. And my answer, which I wouldn't have really detected had I not listened to the show four or five times and had you pointed out was a bit depersonalizing. I answered your question, but I answered in terms of, well, when I talk to my friends, this is what they say. And I am certainly going to try to do more personal, uh, personal answering of questions that are asked of me that are personal. Like it's, uh, that's part of what we're trying to do here is be as, as, as real as we can. And maybe even, uh, you know, if, you know, we're good friends, call each other out on, oh, I'm not sure you quite answered that one directly, Chris, <laughs> or whatever it might be. So anyway, John duly warned, um, but uh, so, so happy that you're here. And maybe David can say a bit more and you can share a bit more about your background. And then uh, we've, we've got a lot we're excited to talk with you about. Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, we're able to have those kinds of conversations and, I do think it's important to, you know, talk about 
all sides of the issue, but also to have people know like where we're personally coming from with it. So, uh, so I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, jumping into uh, the episode today, like I said, we're going to be talking with a uh, longtime friend of mine, um, great guy, and uh, also uh, very community oriented as well. Uh, it's a 20 year veteran. I'll let him tell more about himself because um, I'm probably going to not do it all the justice it deserves. But a uh, 20 year veteran of the St. Louis uh, Police Department. And uh, like I said, very active as far as uh, community, community involvement as well. We thought his perspective uh, would be pretty unique and pretty interesting uh, on some of the issues, particularly around uh, the tensions between police and uh, inner city, you know, community. So uh, welcome to the show, uh, Detective John Leggett. Normally you, at this you. point, thank we would have a great crowd going wild for you, but, uh, you know, it's our second show. The budget is still small. But uh, <laughs> so, uh, John, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, just so everybody's kind of up to speed as we move forward. Okay. Um, as you said, my name is uh, John Leggett. Uh, I am a detective with the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department, where I have been um, in um, in service for tw- the last 20 years. Um, I can honestly say I love my job. I love what I do. Um, I don't like everything about my job or all the things that I have to do, but I love doing what I do, and that is helping people. Um, I'm a juvenile detective, so that means I work with children. Um, I work with kids who are abducted, uh, who are kidnapped, who are runaways, um, work with some sex trafficking um, victims. Um, so I'm right there in the thick of it. Um, I, I say that uh, I have skin in the game. Um, community policing is where it's at. I've always been a community policeman uh, since the very beginning. Uh, it's about getting in the neighborhoods and getting to know those people, getting to know their needs um, and really helping people. So then that's, and that's, that's how I was raised. Uh, born and raised here in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, alumnus of Lincoln University is where I met Dave Conley. Um, L-U and I hope you have some good stories. Just as a side note, we could do oh, an yeah. episode. Yes, <laughs> yes, we could do a whole episode. That, that's our after dark episode. <laughs> <laughs> I taught I taught Dave how to make Roman noodles five different ways. I know that's on. right. I know yes. that's right. Survival, <laughs> yes, survival. Yeah. So, uh, but born and raised here in St. Louis, um, wanted to be a police officer because I wanted to help people, uh, and that's where I've been. I don't know how long I'll stay. Um, I uh, We'll ride it until the wheels fall off, I guess. Uh, but that's that's just who I am. Um, currently, I am uh, active um, with the Ethical Society of Police. I'm on the board of directors for the Ethical Society of Police, and that is the Black Police Association in St. Louis. Um, those of you who may not be familiar with St. Louis, there is a, a predominantly white um, police association, and then there is a predominantly black police association um, for obvious reasons. Uh, and most cities have two police associations but I'm a member of the board of directors, but I'm also a member of the St. Louis Police Association as well. I'm a member of that association as well. And I remain a, a member so that I can, I can know what's going on. Um, you don't have any say so if you don't, you know, pay your dues and put some money in. So I, I, I go to their meeting and I wanna find out and I wanna know what it is you're doing. Um, so um, involved in, in quite a few activities. Um, right now, I'm a member of a, a production called Antigone and Ferguson. That's what my t-shirt is. Um, mm-hmm. And that is a um, 
production that we've done for the last two years we've been to Greece doing this production. It was, it came out of the Mike Brown um, incident that happened in Ferguson. And Ferguson is just outside of the city of St. Louis. Um, and uh, it is a play, basically, um, the Greek play, um, written by Sophocles. And it, we tied in Ferguson, if you know the story of Antigone, there were two sons. There was a king, he had two sons, they killed each other in battle, um, and all of that in terms of the body laying in the street, uh, Mike Brown laying in the street. So this is a musical and a Greek play combined. And then there's a, there's a conversation very similar to what we're having right now um, that follows the play. Uh, and we've been touring this for the last three years, I believe. Uh, wow. So this is just right up, right up my alley in terms of what I'm doing and where I am and where God has placed me um, at this point in time. So mm. I'm happy to be here. That by itself is very interesting. Yeah, I want you to come to Phillips Exeter Academy to the school where I teach and, and work as a psychologist. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So I'm listening to, uh, you know, your your background and everything that you're doing um, and man it seems like like you must feel like you're in the middle of like kind of a, a tug of war uh, sometimes uh, I was just thinking about you know like with law enforcement and and the community but even with uh, these two uh, societies or organizations within uh, the police department how do you you know balance those those two things, those two points of view, loyalties, whatever. How 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 do you you know how do you balance that? It seems like that would be kind of like walking on a razor's edge. Yeah. No, in actuality, um, it's 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 a good thing in terms of that. I get to explain to I don't want to say the other association on the other side. Mm -hmm. This is the reason why we are in existence. The, the things that you are not addressing is the reason why we ha why we need to, mm -hmm. um, because that's that's the reason why the ethical society was formed. Because the police association was not addressing needs of African American officers. Mm -hmm. um, they were not um, looking at at things that were really affecting us, like promotions of of African American um, officers, um, um, racial disparities in terms of racial um, profiling. Um, just all the different things that African-American officers were facing, they were not addressing them. So it, it, it affords me the opportunity to say, hey, this is the reason why we have this, because you're not doing this. Um, and we, I do have to, we have to call them on the carpet, quite a few, quite a bit. Um, so it, it's not a comfortable, it's not a comfortable conversation. And it's not always a comfortable um, interaction, uh, but it's necessary. Uh, we, we have to stand guard and call those things out to say, and even with our own, within our own organization, when, I mean, in terms of the ethical society, when things are not right, we call them. We call, I mean, wrong is wrong. It doesn't matter if it's white or if it's black. It's wrong. Um, if a black officer does something wrong or if a white officer does something wrong, it's still wrong. Um, and we are all, we all took the same oath of office um, to uphold the law, regardless as to what color you are. Um, so it, it, it makes for a very, um, sometimes not so comfortable um, situation, but I, I can deal with that. I can handle that. I don't have a problem with calling them on that or saying, hey, uh, we got to do better than this. Um, uh, I can cite a number of things uh, recently um, that uh, the association, when I say the association, I mean the St. Louis Police Association, um, they did not address um, and just kind of act like, um, oh, well, you know, it didn't exist. 
things that happen in the community or on within the, the department within st louis um uh i don't know if well, you may not be familiar with st louis but we've had um a lot of unrest and a lot of uh we've had quite a few uh riots and particularly after the george floyd um incident uh, but even prior to that um we've had a lot of um protest and destruction um and our association has decided that you know they want to paint all protesters um, as destructive and mm. destroying property, and and we're like, no, that's that's not th those two things are not the same. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, we've had to have some some uh, I guess as my grandmother would say, come to Jesus um, <laughs> conversations. And John, um, what what's been their response? I mean, what I find fascinating lots of things about what you said, but first of all, that you, uh, as you said, it might be the difficult conversations, but you're willing to have them and, and hopefully they're willing to listen. I'm, I'm keen to know what their response is. And if you wanted to stay with this example, when you said, hey, look, uh, it's a bit more nuanced than that. You, you know, it's not that all protesters are violent or destructive or that on a daily basis, whatever vandalism that's happening in the city of St. Louis, most of that doesn't have anything to do with any protest, you know, so it's like you're confounding these things. How do they react? Well, not so um, friendly, not so receptive mm, to that. Mm. Um, they keep wanting to clump everything together and everybody together. Uh, and that's one of the major things that we've um, one of the major components we've tried to explain and tried to break down and, and say that we have to look at the reason why why are these people protesting um number one why are they protesting um we, they, they want to be heard they want to be listened to um st louis made national news with the um there was a protest in uh the central west end which is a very nice area in st louis uh, you have million dollar homes um and they were going to the mayor's house they were going to the mayor of st louis house to protest and uh, they passed by some millionaires houses houses and their lawyers uh, there were two lawyers on uh, the lawyers pulled guns out on the protesters uh, because they said they feared for their safety now what they did what those lawyers did was legal uh, under the castle doctrine um, you do have a right to defend your home but was it ethical was it right because it's legal and so that's one of the major things that we've yeah. been trying to explain to them yeah what they did what those lawyers did by pulling out guns and and, and standing on their property it was legal um, but was it the right thing to do? Were those protesters tearing up their property? Were they on their property? No, they were in the street. Yes, the street is a private street. It's not a public street. And according to that law, you do have that right because you're on private property. Had they gone down a public street, then it would not have been an issue. But that particular street is a private street. Um, so legally, yes, they were within their rights. But of course, that incited um, anger amongst the, the protesters, and um, the, so then you had this back and forth. Um, and they, even the uh, the lawyer said that some of the protesters pulled guns on them. But of course, we only have them on video with this uh, AK-47 or this assault rifle, and then the wife's got this this um, handgun that she's pointing at all the protesters. Um, so trying to explain that that yes, what they did was legal, but was it right? Yeah. And is there any understanding about, um, um, you know, like what the feeling or the incidents were that across the country even, but also in St. Louis that would have led to 
this protest in the first place? Because a lot of conversation that I'm hearing just, you know, on the news and, and a lot of the response from the police is as if the protest came up like, yeah, let's find something to do on Saturday night. I know what we should do. You know, let's all go march on the mayor's house. You know, is, is there any sort of, and, and as a police officer, I guess this is a good question for you too, but is there any sort of thought about, um, you know, like some of the some of the behavior or some of the thinking um, that's coming from the behavior or the perceived behavior of the police that would probably have led to this. Do you know what I mean? Because like on the one side, these people protesting, of course, we feel like, um, you know, unarmed black men are being killed, you know, and that's not right either <laughs> you know so Correct. is uh, what like i'm curious to whether or not that's being considered and what the response to to that is if it's even being brought up you know okay let me back up um mm -hmm. this particular protest that i was speaking of when they were going on the private street and the lawyers and all that they were going to the mayor's house to right. uh protest the mayor because she had gone on a facebook live and called out the names and addresses of citizens who wanted to defund the police. So she wow. she did something like this. Dave Conley, who lives at 3749 uh, wow. All Street, he wants to take $300,000 in. And she called their names out and their addresses. Wow. Um, and so they were going to protest her house <laughs> uh, because they were calling for her resignation. Yeah. So two wrongs certainly don't make a right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. What she did was wrong. <laughs> that was wrong. Yeah. Um, and, and they certainly have a right to, to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then for them to come out with the guns, that was wrong. Right. <laughs> you know, that's what right. I mean. Wrong don't make a right. right. Um, but, but in terms of getting back to your question, part of, of the police um, response, or I shouldn't say response, our understanding, is that we see mm -hmm. protesters as, oh, God, it was another, another protest. What do you all want now? You know. Um, are we really truly listening to the people? Um, or are we letting them know that we hear you? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not saying that everything that the police has done in the past is correct. We have to own, we have to own our own stuff. Um, through just through generations and down through the years. Yeah, we, we've, we've not done right by people all the time. Um, so we've got to make it, we got to make it right. You know, and I'm not saying we just go around and let people just break the law and just do what you want to do. And we give you a whole weekend to get all your, your lawlessness out. Starting at 12 o'clock on Friday, you can do whatever you, no, I'm not, I'm by no means am I advocating that. But we have to let people know that we hear you, we see you, and we are willing to listen and change. Um, just because it's the law doesn't mean that it's right. But that brings up a good question. And, and being a black man and a police officer, like, what do you think it would take? What kind of response do you think the police can do that would make people in in our inner city areas feel like they're being heard? I mean, like, I think, because now a lot of what even the reason that we're doing this show is a lot of times because of, like, I already feel like this. So there's really almost nothing you can say because the minute you start, to, the minute Chris starts talking to me, 
I have a bunch of assumptions about him as a white man and, and what he is thinking. And, and that assumption cannot be swayed. And he's thinking the same about me. So our conversation is stopped from the get-go. So if, if there's a, a thing in, in protest or a community's mind about police and vice versa, what can, what can we do or say? What kind of action can we take that can bridge this gap? Either way, really. You know. I think that's got to, that, that has to start from the top down mm -hmm. um, as any change um, has to start from the top and go down, meaning from the chief, from the mayor, from the governor, um, down to the very patrolman. Um, those guys that are out there on the street that are walking the beat, I was, I was on the beat and walked the, had, a, had, a, had a beat to walk and it, it starts there. It, it, has to, it has to transcend from the top down to those officers um, to, to go up to Miss, I'm just making this up, Miss Jones's house, you know, and talk to Miss Jones. And find out, you know, what's going on with Miss Jones, and okay, Miss Jones, and develop their relationship. We've got to develop those and cultivate those relationships with people in the neighborhood, so that they get to know us, and and, the, and we get to know them. Um, we have to come up with real, real answers um, to um, the crime and to fighting, and, and and all of those things that that we, you know, that we come into into contact with on, on your your daily patrol. Um, We've got to get back to um, community policing. Uh, we've got to get back to um, really listening to people and really providing the people with the resources. We took an oath to protect and to serve. Um, and I realized that we are not the fix all. We are not social workers. We are not, um, you know, we're, we don't fix it, fix it all. Um, but we do bear a responsibility that when you treat people um, a certain way, they're going to remember that. They're going to hold on to that. They may not remember what you did or how you look, but they're going to remember how you made them feel. Mm -hmm. um, so that's part of the policing that we've got to we've got to get back to. We got to get back to it being in your in your heart. Um, no matter how much training we do, no matter how many classes we take, it has to start in your heart. Um, you have to be right in your heart to know how to treat people. Um, and living by that old adage of you want people to treat you should treat people the way you want your family members to be treated. Um, so I think it's, it's a combination of all those things. I don't think it's any one particular thing. Um, I think it's, it's just gotta be a combination of all those things as well as the community being able to come to the table and say, Hey, um, we're here to be policed by you. Um, what can, how can we collectively come together and do this thing together? Um, so it's got to be a give and take. Um, it's not a one fix all. I'm not trying to put all of the blame on the police and say, oh, well, the police, we got to fix it. We, we just got to fix it. No, it's got to be a partnership. Mm -hmm. um, it's got to be community as well as the police. Um, mm -hmm. we, we both have a part to play. Um, a lot of it is pride. A lot of it is afraid to say we were wrong. On, on both ends, on the community side, as well as the, 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 the law enforcement side. Um, and how do we fix this? How do we make this thing work? Um, and, and I think having conversations like this uh, without having the hostility and without having the, uh, the animosity um, and actually listening to that person, letting them know that, hey, I hear you. Now, how do we, how do we get back to this? How do we fix this? How do we, you know, um, so that that's that that would be my my suggestion. I, I don't 
I don't have a, a, a fix all to say, oh, well, we can wave the magic wand and it's all going to be right. Um, it, it's got to be a give and take. John, what, what was it like when you started 20 years ago and were doing more community policing and um, and what what caused what caused it to change? What and and I guess uh, answer you know for your experience in St. Louis, um, maybe different factors in different places. But um, it sounds like from what you were saying, if if the way in which police officers interacted with people were to get back to something you know closer to what you had. You know, why it sounds like what brought you to uh, the force in the first place. Uh, so I, I want to hear what that was like and, and why it changed. I think part of um, the change is urban, um, the urban development. Um, you don't have as many neighborhoods. Um, Dave is from St. Louis. Um, I can name neighborhoods in St. Louis where, for instance, where my mother's house was. Her house is the only house on the block. Mm-hmm. It is the only inhabitable house on the block. When I came on 20 years ago, we had more houses on the block. You had um, Miss Jones, who had been living there all her life, and you had Miss Smith, and you know the Johnsons, and you know you had neighborhoods. You had people who were in um, in those neighborhoods, so you were able. I was able to develop a relationship. Um, I remember particularly one lady called me to her house. She was an older lady, and she called me to her house to give her some water. And I was like, "Lady, I'm the police. What do you mean you want me to get you water?" Um, but I developed a relationship with her. She just wanted someone to talk to. Um, and she would call 911 and she would ask for me. <laughs> and of course, I, sometimes I was working, sometimes I wasn't. But I, I started just going by on my own, not even without her calling. And then I would sit on the porch with her and just talk with her. So we had neighborhoods. You had people who you were able to develop relationships with. Now we don't have as many neighborhoods because we have so many vacant lots and derelict houses and um you know, uh, full blocks, you can have full blocks where there, there are no houses. Um, we had schools um, who, uh, we had schools in the area um, and you would go by and develop relationships with those teachers and those principals and those students. Now we've, we've shut down schools. Um, so that's something that I grew up in. I grew up in North St. Louis, um, the hood, the veal. <laughs> so, um, so I grew up in that type of culture of, of, of a neighborhood, but now we don't have those um, those neighborhoods anymore uh, because um, because of drugs and crime and um, people have moved out to the suburbs or uh, people have died who've owned houses for many, many years and um, that, that family is no longer there. Um, so I think that's one of the major um, issues um, in terms of that. Those officers can't cultivate those relationships because there are no people in those houses yeah, yeah. Um, and people have gotten away from a sense of neighbors. You knew who your neighbors were um, to the whole block. Now you can, you can go into a neighborhood and you know, you go to find out about a, a neighbor and they say, I don't talk to them. I don't know them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that that's something that I certainly um, was accustomed to. Um, so it was it was kind of a natural it was kind of an instinct for me to go into you know the neighborhoods and i would literally park my car at the end of the street and just walk down the street mm-hmm. uh, you know go from house to house and you know and talk um you know and get to know people uh, but officers have not afforded that um 
that opportunity now. For one, they're going from call to call to call to call to call to call um, for calls for service um, that they don't they don't have that that luxury. Yeah. So when you start talking about uh, well, first of all, there's, there's two questions. Uh, one, so if that's the case now and that's the landscape, I mean, how how do you get back to community policing then? I mean, that's it sounds like a great answer, but I mean, if there's if the no. community is so mm -hmm. eroded, how do you get right. back to community right. policing? Right, and now? and that's where it's going to take. It. When I say we've all got to come to the table, we've got to do some urban development. We've got to, mm -hmm. you know, we've got to get money back in these neighborhoods to get these families uh, stabilized. Um, we have tons. I mean, I'm just speaking for St. Louis, and I can only speak um, for St. Louis uh, because it's the only thing I know in terms of policing. Uh, we have blocks of just houses, brick wonderful brick houses that could be fixed up and you know what families could be brought back into those houses um that we have started this this program where if you take care of the lot or the house next to to where you live you could buy it for like fifty dollars mm -hmm. or they have the house where you can buy for a dollar that's a start that's a start but those houses take a lot of um, of you know resources but that's got to start with our city um to allow um, come up with grants, come up with um, different types of incentives for people to live in the city mm -hmm. and to, to own houses in the city. Um, we do have a first-time buyers program. That's a really good program here in St. Louis. They give you like $10,000 towards um, a house. Um, things like that, um, mm -hmm. that's my point, um, is that the city, our state, our government, we've got to get back to put, putting, putting money back into our neighborhoods to, to further develop our neighborhoods so that we can get back to that community policing. I'm certainly not saying that it's it's all the responsibility of the police. By no means, no, we can't do it alone. Uh, but it's it's got to be um, a collective. Um, a it's, collective. It's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's cool to hear you talk about the different components. And and as we said at the top of the show, a more nuanced view of all kinds of things, including anti-black racism, is what is required if we're, we're going to come up with some sort of durable solution. And David, I know you said you had another question, but um, before you ask that, your commentary, John, makes me realize, you know, even more profoundly than I did before, that people who are calling out of out of frustration to defund the police uh, at a local level, at a national level, are, you know, if, if anything, it's a vast oversimplification of um, what is a nuanced problem with a you know multivariate solution like there's a lot of moving parts here but it's also really important for people to hear what you're saying are those parts that it's it's not rocket science right it's relationships it's uh thoughtful urban planning it's uh you know, if anything, the way that police are funded, uh, you know, a lot of them making an hourly that's less than what they would make if they, you know, were working at a big box department store or, you know, and they're so they're showing up for work tired because they're having to work another job or, you know, and the, the body cam thing is really interesting because uh, and I'm not taking a stand for or against, but. You know, to just just to say, well, the solution to some of the tension is to document what is happening. Okay, that's 
that's part of it. That's like that's not the only thing, as you said, John. It, people have to start with what's in their heart, and you know, there's you can do all the workshops in the world, and you know, still not you're still not going to get there unless uh, we we bring it down to some basic level of of humanity. And I don't mean to sound glib because it it can't be easy to do urban planning. Uh, it can't be easy to um, rebuild some of these relationships, uh, some of these neighborhoods. But as you're saying, relationships are, are at the core and you're describing a kind of, uh, you know, interaction between law enforcement and citizens that would make it not just sort of solve some of the problems that uh, exist right now with uh the way some undertrained or stressed out, uh, you know, officers uh, have been treating people uh, and and killing people, but also, you know, it, it it's just there's so much more there that we need to do to listen to one another. And you know, I want to repeat something you said, which is to you know bring lots of members of the community to the table. And I just, you also said the leadership starts from, you know, from the top. And, um, you know, I guess it's a whole nother show, the sort of problems that we have right now nationally yes. with leadership <laughs> at the top. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I am encouraged by the directness of the parts of your answer because Again, it doesn't sound impossible. It sounds very doable and it, it sounds wonderful. Like it sounds that people would be able to walk down the street, whatever the street is, and have a better day because they can say hi to somebody or, you know, it's that people know each other. Uh, we've dehumanized so many parts of society and then we scratch our heads going, oh, so why the hell isn't it going smoothly? Right. <laughs> What was your other question? I was going to, well, I was going to get to the uh, my, the defund the police part, but it's interesting. I think they need a different phrase for that because yes. I think it scares people when you say defund the police because yeah. what that puts in people's mm -hmm. mind is that they're going to take people like John off the streets. Mm -hmm. And I think my understanding of defunding the police is doing taking some of the money and doing what you're talking about. Right. directing it into the rebuilding of resources for communities, mm -hmm. uh, um, sort of undergirding some of these communities so that uh, officers aren't consistently going on, you know, so many calls that by the time they get to uh, these emergency calls, they're stressed out. They're able to be utilized mm -hmm. for yes. uh, the calls that they are best trained for. Um, and, and so you don't have this, you know, just deluge of calls that that, that you got to wade through on, and, and that don't give you time to do the type of community policing that John was saying he did when he first yeah. Oh, uh, and totally unfair on. that you're and being so, asked to do things that, you know, as you said, John, a social worker should be doing or uh, that, you know, so it, you can't be expected no profession can be expected to solve all of society's yeah. ills and it's just vastly unfair that uh officers are asked to do so many different things and so i guess my question to 
to John with regard to that was if that's what's needed, you're able to see that that's what's needed. Uh, and and this is, you know, you, of course, living in the community and working with the police for over 20 years. But still, I would think that people who are working in the police, uh, you know, in, in these areas can see this as well. Why is there so much pushback, you think, uh, for the notion of, of defunding the police, if that's what it, it means? It seems like it would make the job more effective for police and it would help with regard to bridging this sort of gap that's come uh, as a result of, you know, communities going away in that way or, or eroding, I should say, in that way. If defunding the police is is a way to help make that happen, maybe you call it something different, you know, but other, other, than, other than the name, I'm saying if that action is what I'm talking about, it seems like that would be doing what it is you're saying or at least heading in the direction of what you're saying is a solution. Why is there so much pushback nationwide, do you think, or even we'll just say you answer for St. Louis, but I'm just saying it might give us some insight nationwide. Why is there so much pushback and vehement pushback from, from law enforcement, do you think? Well, let me give you two point, two things. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of defunding the police, the, the name defunding pol- the police. Right. I think that um, I like police reform. Okay. Um, I like other things other than defunding the police, but let me speak up on St. Louis. For instance, in St. Louis, um, St. Louis, 90% of our budget is salaries and benefits. Okay. Only 10% is equipment. Mm-hmm. We have to have cars. We have to have guns. We have to have uniforms. We have to have buildings. So only 10% of our budget. And so when you're talking about defunding the police, you're going to take some money from um, the police to put in these various resources for housing and job training and homelessness and all of those things, all those, all these calls that we get calls about, I, I agree. We should not be addressing that. I am not a social worker. Mm-hmm. My background is not in social work. We should not be answering those calls on um, custody disputes um, for uh, people who are unemployed and who need housing. I agree. All, but why not properly fund all of those agencies and all of those things from, from the start? Or as my grandma would say, from the get-go. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Properly fund them from the start. And I'm only speaking from St. Louis. Sure. Uh, if so if 10% of our budget is equipment and you want to take some money out, where if you think you don't see a police officer now in your neighborhood, mm-hmm. you're going to take more mo- take money out of the budget. If 90% is salaries and benefits, mm-hmm. and in, in the city of St. Louis, we don't make a lot of money. Um, there are municipalities who make twice as much as I do mm-hmm. in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll surrounding say current, areas. Yeah, yeah. Surrounding areas that are much nicer areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so they make twice the amount of money that I do. Of course, if you take money from me, what am I going to do? I'm going to leave I'm gonna leave the city and I'm going to go work for one of those agencies. Mm-hmm. So um, so my, my, my answer to, to the whole defunding the police, I'm, and I'm specifically talking about St. Louis, because I really don't see how they could take money out of our budget. The FBI says that we should have 1,200 police officers for a city the size of St. Louis. Mm-hmm. How many do you think we, how many officers do you think we have for the city of St. Louis? Two. Hmm. <laughs> about uh, roughly on a good day, about 700, 600. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh-huh. 
So if we don't, and, and the money is not in the budget, the city budget, to fund those additional officers from 700 to 1,200, the difference. Mm -hmm. So if we don't have that money already, and we're below the mark already, how, how then do we explain defunding anything? Mm -hmm. If anything, we need to pour money in so that we can at least get those 1,200 officers. And let's say we had the money in the budget, the city budget to hire um, those additional officers so that we, we're fully staffed at 1,200 officers. Or let's say we have 2,500 officers. Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna really go all out there. Um, okay, well then I can explain, we can explain what well, 1,200, 2,500, we can make some cuts here. Mm -hmm. um, so, but you're already at a deficit. From We're already at a deficit. Mm -hmm. So how then do we explain, you know, so it, it, it just definitely will not work for the city of St. Louis. Mm -hmm. um, so if you were at a deficit, and I'm hearing that with regard to, say, just the numbers in manpower, I would imagine, and you don't have that kind of money, that you were at a deficit uh, in training too. Yes. Mm-hmm. But yeah. okay, so, yeah. I mean, so, it's all the way, it's all the way yeah. around. You can only get so much. You know, you can't get blood from you know from a turnip. You know, um, so I agree. It, it's all the way around. Equipment, um, the types of cars we drive. I mean, and and I'm, and I'm sure I know teachers uh, all the time. They say they spend their own money. You know, for the students, I spend my own money for my own equipment. Mm -hmm. uh, we have officers who bought you know purchased their own or additional ballistic um, vest or purchase their own um, equipment because- I know you were saying you had to put an alternator in your car just last week. Yes, I did, I did, I sure did. Then <laughs> you paid for it. No, exactly. Wow. Um, but no. Um, no, I'm so, kidding, I'm, that's a joke. Just, right, no. but when we talk about defunding the police, I, I get it, I understand. Yes, we do need those resources so that we're not going um, to these calls um, trying to play, play, so, play social workers and uh, what I call um, Band-Aid, um, you know, Band-Aid answers. Mm -hmm. um, here in St. Louis, we do have a program um, and we've been innovative in this. I think we're, we're probably one of the first police departments to um, institute this program and we're calling it Professionals with Police, whereas we will have social workers, licensed clinical social workers with our officers. Mm -hmm. um, riding in the cars or either at the station. My office, we have a social worker in our office. She has a mm -hmm. cubicle. She's there, I believe, 30 hours a week so that we can funnel her uh, families that we come into contact um, who are having problems uh, with food or mm -hmm. having problems with utilities, having problems with um, job training, having problems with child care. Um, so these um, cl licensed clinical social workers will be riding with the officers. So then when they go to a domestic call and there, if there's a woman there who, or, or man who's been abused um, and we know we're coming to this house every, every two weeks, you know, when she gets paid, this is when the fight starts. Um, so that, that social worker can then get them the necessary um, help that they need. Um, and then that officer can then go on to the next one, a call where he or she is really needed. Um, so that's a, an innovative program that we have. It's called uh, Pairing Professionals with Police. Um, and it's it's a groundbreaking uh, program, um, just getting off the ground here in St. Louis. Uh, but we use our advocate, and I don't like to call them social workers. I call them family advocates mm -hmm. because there's a certain um, kind of connotation that goes stigma. along with stigma that goes along with um, social workers. So if I say family advocate, I find that families are a little more receptive because they, that means that they advocate for the entire family. Uh, but they are licensed clinical social workers. Um, and I love our, our family advocate because she really goes above and beyond to make sure that she helps, you know, those families. 
one one question I got just really quick and, and okay so just so uh, Chris is up to speed too an area like you were saying Kirkwood uh, or like uh, Ladue or whatever we call some of these areas out there uh, you know like more suburban uh, areas or whatever the the types of things that you see the types of issues that we're dealing with uh, you know nationwide that's a source of contention uh, between police and these communities that kind of thing does not seem to exist in those areas I'm asking you about St. Louis because you're from St. Louis but I would imagine you know we can apply this uh, across the country what would be the difference in how you police or how that's being done, how the community is being dealt with or whatever. And, and inner city St. Louis, you know what I mean? That where, where that type of tension is almost expected in, in that area and not necessarily in these other areas. Like, so we say, okay, well, you know, St. Louis is operating at this uh, deficit of personnel and, resources, et cetera. Meanwhile, uh, crime is, uh, neighborhoods are eroded, crime is out of control, et cetera. So they're having to deal with a lot of things like that, I'm sure, but I'm saying, I don't know. It's, it, if, if you leave St. Louis and go to one of those areas, you're going to be, you're going to not have to deal with a lot of that kind of thing. But what, what would be the difference between how they're policing or whatever or what they have to deal with and what you have to deal with or how you police? Well, policing in, uh, I'll, I'll just give you this example. Policing in North St. Louis, I would not, I probably would not police the same because I'm not going to deal with the same issues that I would be in North St. Louis mm -hmm. as opposed to, let's say, the really nice part of Clayton, which is a really mm -hmm. nice suburb um, of St. Louis. Uh, it's a very affluent area. Um, very, you know, wealthy people live there. I'm not going to deal with the same issues. Um, I'm dealing in North St. Louis, I'm dealing with inner city, um, I'm dealing with more crime, I'm dealing with drugs, I'm dealing with um, violent crime, um, as opposed to some of these other areas. I mean, and violent crime is up all over, all over the country, I should say that. Uh, but just the basic day-to-day -day issues that you're going to deal with, um, you're not going to, you're not going to deal with them, the same type of issues. So am I going to police the same? No. Uh, because I'm dealing with homicides and suicides and heroin, um, heroin overdoses and um, things like that in this area, as opposed to this other area, this very affluent area, I'm dealing with um, maybe an accident, uh, maybe a domestic, um, you know, maybe a domestic dispute. Um, so you, you've got apples and oranges. Right, you know, but somebody might, might not to cut you off, but somebody might try to oversimplify that, for instance, and say, well, you know, in Clayton, it's mainly white people. And in this in this hood, it's mainly black people. And that's your problem. No. This is um, black people. And so you got to police so you black got, people this way. way this is white and you people. Gotta, and you got to police, police them this way. No, I, I don't agree with that, uh, certainly. Um, because, mm -hmm. you know, you're the police of all people regardless if they're black or white. And if you treat people, if you treat people fair and right, regardless as to what color they are, it does not matter um, mm -hmm. whether they're black or whether they're white. Um, crime is crime. Um, you, you have two different types of elements, you know, more violent crime as opposed to you've just got, oh, Miss Jones, my cat stuck in the tree or something. 
you know, you don't walk out there with your gun and, you know, you want, you want your cat down, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll get it down for you, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, so. <laughs> next call, you know, next call. Right, yeah. right. Dispatch what you got next for me. Right, right. Um, but, I mean, no, but, I mean, you treat people fair. You treat people right from mm -hmm. the get-go. Mm -hmm. um, we see that here in St. Louis. Uh, you may have an officer in St. Louis who was um, who is maybe a white male from a predominantly white area. Um, he Maybe he's not dealt with a lot of black people um, mm -hmm. in the past or where he was from. Uh, and we all take our life experiences, even though you go through the academy and you get your, your license and you, you, you do all of that training, but you still fall back to your experiences. How, if, have you had experience with dealing with, with black people? That's something that we need to consider. Mm -hmm. uh, if you take a, a black person, a black cop, and put him in a predominantly white area, and I've not dealt with very many white people in my, in my experience. So I only have my experiences, my life experiences um, to, to draw off of. Um, so we have to be conscious of that. And I'm not saying that only white cops should, should, uh, patrol white people and only black cops should patrol black people. I think it should be a, a, a cross. Um, we should, you know, that goes back to our training. Um, we have what they call field training. Um, and in your field training, you stay in one area. So what we're trying to do is to develop that you, when you have your field training, that you go to all different areas so that you know how to police all over the city. So if I put you in a predominantly black area, you only deal with black, mostly black people. Um, if I put you in a white area, you only deal with, but if we put you and give you a mixture and, and so that you're able to get to know all people, you don't have as much um, friction and as much, um, I guess, maybe cultural shock. Oh, black people, really? You, you all really don't, you know? Or, you know, like, you know, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a reality. John, how have, um, and I um, am aware that uh, you've got to stop here in a couple of minutes, so I want to respect your time. How have white people treated you over the course of your career? In terms of citizens or fellow officers or what do you mean by that? Both. Yeah, both. I mean, I'm, yes. I am probably, I'm... I'm a, I'm your typical cop, but I'm not your typical cop, and Dave will know this. Um, I'm the type of cop that'll give you a ticket, a, a, a speeding ticket, and you're laughing because that's just my personality. Um, I've had white people who were just steaming mad at me, but I had them laughing because I ran up to the court. I said, "Where's the fire? <laughs> you driving so fast? Where's the fire at?" You know, and so I got them laughing. But at the end of the day, I gave them the ticket. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Um, so I. I've, I've had um, some resistance from white people, but I've also had some resistance from, from black people as well. Um, just because I'm a black man uh, doesn't mean necessarily that all black people, oh, they just love, you know, they just love me because I'm a black, you know, cop. Right. Uh, but I think I know how to talk to people. And I made it a practice to always treat people um, the way I want to be treated, treat them with respect. Mm -hmm. um, there are times that, yes, I'm frustrated and I want to beat the heck out of you. That's just, I'm human. Yeah, I'm human. And that's that's another aspect of, of the police that people need to see that we are we are human just like anybody else. We get frustrated. We get upset. But the thing about it is you have to be able to control that. You have to be able to turn that around and you have to be able to not not take it personal. So, yes, I've had white people um, where I've responded on a call with a white officer and white people only talk to the white officer. Mm -hmm. but they, they will literally turn 
um, away from me. Mm. Uh, and once I figured that out, me, of course, Dave, you know, me being the person that I am, um, you have to talk to me now because I have more right. seniority than him. But you turn, you learn how to turn that around and, and you learn how to uh, provide the best service that you can. Um, I've had black people who, you know, would, you know, call me all types of uncle times when you're working for the man and you, mm. you know, you're, you know, you're a sellout and. I have thick skin. Wow. Um, I, I can turn that around. Um, it's about how you talk to people. It's about how you treat people. Um, it's about the level of respect that you require of them. Um, I'm not going to allow you to make me stoop to your level. Um, I'm going to require that you, you know, I mean, I, with you now, if you got to go to jail, you got to go to jail. We can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way. <laughs> But one way, one thing we know for sure, it's going to get done. Uh, but it's, it's it's just the way you talk to people, man. Um, and and that's uh, that's what I tell younger officers, man. Um, it's the way you treat people, um, and it's it's in here, man. It's it's in your heart. Um, like I, I said at the beginning of the show, you can make us take all these diversity training and racial biases and and uh, all of these classes. I'm gonna do what I need to do. I'm going to tell you what I need to tell you to get out of this class, to get my name, to get my credit. <laughs> but if, if, if my heart has not changed, if I don't, there is not a change in my heart. And, and I always say this, that people don't become officers. Racists don't become officers to be racist. You're, you're already a racist and you become an officer because it's easy to exercise your racism because you have that power. So you don't be automatically become an officer and then, oh, now I'm a racist. No, you were a racist before you became an officer. Um, and that's all that that again goes back to your heart. Um, it's the same thing with uh, the whole Catholic priest thing. People think, okay, well, you're a priest, you, you gotta be you're you're abusing children. No, you you had that in you already, mm-hmm. and you became a priest because it was easy to do that, or you further developed that. Um, so one does not necessarily equate to the other. You know, it's just it's. Uh everything you just said, John, so beautiful and so memorable. And I think that institutions or groups are so easy to target. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a problem with the police or the Catholic Church or this group uh, that has this skin color. Or that's, you know, it's white people's fault. It's black people's fault. Like all of that is so much easier than saying, what have I contributed to this mess? And what can I do to fix it? And to, as you said, see what's in your heart. Um, no, there's no amount of money or uh, number of workshops that's going to fix that. So um, I know we have to let you go in a minute, and I'll let David close out the show. And if you have other comments, please add them. But I um hoping that you'll join us again because there's lots Definitely. more to talk yes, about, John. Yes. yes. Um, no, we appreciate your time, brother. And thank, thank you, you thank for, for coming on. Um, I mean, I, I learned a lot myself just Me to listen to you just about that perspective. And, and I'll just be honest. Um, I never had a blanket negative uh, thought about police in general. You know, my, I think that, like you said, there are people who are, uh, you know, have that negativity in them and they happen to be police just like they are, uh, 
in all different types of occasions and what have you. So I never had just a blanket thing that was like that. Um, but this helped me even more so to to understand that, you know, there are a lot of people who are doing a very good job and want to do an even better job and, you know, given the right circumstances and resources would do that. And, and it's incumbent on all of us to try and, and make the entire situation better as opposed to saying, you fix it uh, for me and I'll just sit back and wait until, until you do. Um, but anyway, I'll say that to say I commend you and I, uh, my respect level for you uh, went up. Uh, so now it's at two. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but, uh, but, you know, I love you. It went up. Spoken and, uh, like a true college buddy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. No, no, he's my boy. And um, But really, it, it went up a lot in my understanding about uh, several things, you know, went up. And so I appreciate your time and your insight today. And thank you very much. And Definitely. We do have to have you on again because there's a lot of other things that I'd still kind of got, you know, questions okay. about and would like to have some some insight and answers to it. And I think that, you know, you could help us all to see things a little bit better. So thanks again. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys, for having me on. I, I look forward to coming back. Um, I don't have all the answers. Um, I certainly don't have all the answers, but I do have um, a loving heart. I have compassion. I have a desire to serve people. Um, and I think that is worth its... Um, Mountain gold. Um, and, Indeed. Um, I'll be more than happy to come back. John, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. We'll get to see you again. All right. Good night. Thanks, Jim. Thank you for listening to I'm Black, You're White, Now What? You can find more episodes on the podcast channel Teaching What It Takes, available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. To learn more about the work I do, visit www.preparingthepath.com. And to learn more about the work I do, visit drchristhurber.com.